Well, everybody, the stage is set. The Chiefs and the Buccaneers will be facing off in Super Bowl LV. That's Super Bowl 55. Yep, the two teams that I did not want to make it are now making it into the Super Bowl. And we have to talk about it. So let's get into it and uh, let's get it going. So in what is ultimately the worst case possible scenario for the Raiders fans and regular organization, you look at the Buccaneers and you have the Kansas City Chiefs facing off in Super Bowl 55. You have the guy that basically, quote unquote, destroyed the Raiders franchise with the tuck rule. Uh, even though, I mean, obviously Walt Coleman was the one that they called the incomplete pass and not a fumble. Um, but, you know, the blame is put on Tom Brady. The blame is put on the Patriots organization and Bill Belichick, that whole organization. And then to see what has come from it. Tom Brady is now going into his 10th, his 10th time playing in the Super Bowl. The only other athlete to play in a championship game 10 times is LeBron James. And so that debate comes up. What do you consider a GOAT? How does this goaded term happen? Because we are throwing GOAT around way more liberally than as than ever before. You know, before, it was Michael Jordan is the GOAT, greatest basketball player of all time, hands down, no questions asked. You bring up other names, no. Now, you can bring up Kobe after that because Kobe definitely is in that conversation, but I would say 1A, 1B. LeBron, some people say he's the GOAT, some people say he's not. Generally, what I see is the younger generation will be quick to call him the greatest of all time. People that didn't see Kobe play, people that didn't see Michael Jordan play, uh, or people that just are, quote-unquote, LeBron stands. The same is kind of for Tom Brady. But what I think with Tom Brady is, when you look at Tom Brady and, and what he's put together and what he's put out there, you have to say that this might be the greatest quarterback of all time. And I hate to say it because of everything that it, that has happened with the Raiders organization, with the Patriots, with the Tuck Rule, uh, with everything. But you have to give respect where respect is due. The man has been to his, his man's going to his tenth Super Bowl. He's forty three years old. Most people thought he was washed. I thought he was washed. I will put my words in a bowl, put some milk in there, and eat it like alphabet cereal. Because I thought he was washed. But he went in to Tampa Bay and he resurrected, quote unquote, resurrected his career. And now he's leading the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to a Super Bowl. And then you look over at Pat Mahomes in Kansas City and what they've done over in Kansas City. And it's sickening for me as a Raider fan to see it. But you got to be happy for the kid. I mean, Pat Mahomes is a good dude, uh, good head on his shoulders. Family's a little crazy. I uh, won't get into that too much because I am friends with his cousins, uh, so I don't want to make them mad at me. But you know, uh, we've seen the social media posts. We see we see some social media posts. But you you see what you know. Th- this is a duel, and you see these guys going at it, and you it's like the changing of the guards because you've got Tom Brady, who's been the old guard for the past 20 years in the National Football League, taking his team to 10 Super Bowls. You have uh, Pat Mahomes, who's now kind of the, the reigning head charge, head guy, Super Bowl MVP. And this is his third year. In the Raiders, we have to face this guy for the next 
15, 20 years, however long he wants to play. So, yeah, it's, it's sickening. Um, you know, and then you look at Tom Brady, and this is a guy that there were some Raider fans, and I haven't forgot about y'all, and I'm, I'm still not happy with y'all, even though he's in the Super Bowl. Just because Tom Brady is in the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers does not mean that he would have taken the Raiders to the Super Bowl. The Buccaneers' defense is significantly better than the Raiders' defense. The Buccaneers' defense runs circles around the Raiders' defense. There is not one player on that Raiders' defense that I could see starting on the Buccaneers' D, except for maybe Max Crosby. So before we get into that, before we get into the who's who and the who's what, this game, this Super Bowl, is like kissing your sister. And that's why I titled this podcast Kissing Your Sister, because any way you slice it, any way you look at it, it's not a favorable outcome. If the Buccaneers win, then Tom Brady gets his seventh Lombardi trophy. He gets his seventh ring. And as a Raider fan, it makes me sick. If the Chiefs win, then the Chiefs tie the Raiders for Super Bowl titles in the AFC West. The Broncos have already done it. Then the Chiefs would do it. That leaves the Chargers sitting there with their zero Lombardis. Oh, wait, I take that back. They do have a Lombardi on staff. So they'll probably put him in a trophy case and say that they actually have a Lombardi. But the Chargers would be still sitting there without any Super Bowl championships. But that's what you look at now. That's what we have to look at is you get Tom Brady with seven or you get Pat Mahomes with two and the Chiefs with three. And with the Raiders looking to allow fans back in the stadiums, do you really want Chiefs Kingdom coming in to the Allegiant Stadium? Talking about back-to-back, talking about Super Bowl chants, talking about a victory lap on a week five victory. I don't want to hear any of that. So that's kind of where we're at with that, and that's where we look at this Super Bowl is this is a matchup from hell. This is this is truly a matchup from hell, and this is a, a game that, frankly, I wish just wouldn't happen. You know, I wanted to see the, the Bills and Green Bay Packers go at it. Unfortunately, in that game, you had a rookie head coach mistake. They were in the red zone, and Matt LaFleur went full John Gruden. And with two minutes left, instead of going for a touchdown to win the game, down eight in the NFC Championship game, they opted to kick a field goal and put the ball back in Tom Brady's hands. And it paid off miserably. The Packers never saw the ball once again. And that game was over. And Aaron Rodgers, who was riding high on an MVP caliber season, a guy who should win the MVP, a unanimous MVP, had to go home because of a decision that his head coach made to kick a field goal. And as a Raider fan, I know that feeling. Now, I don't know it as well in in championship situations because we haven't been there in a very, 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 very long time. But I know the feeling of kicking field goals in situations where you could win a game. You can't do it. You can't do it in the league, especially in against a guy like Brady, against a guy like Mahomes, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, Derek Carr, guys that can come back, guys that can come back on you. You just can't do it. And so you really need to put yourself in the best position to win. And, and the fact that they didn't do that, 
is why the Packers are sitting at home and they're going to be watching the Super Bowl. Now, after that game, Aaron Rodgers raised a lot of speculation as to what was going to happen. He said that there's going to be some conversations that were going to happen around the organization. The futures of some players, including himself, are unknown. And that obviously drove speculation to, well, is Aaron Rodgers going to be back in Green Bay? He's got three years left on his contract. It's a pretty hefty contract. Uh, It would take a significant salary cap hit. Uh, But there's obviously some quarterback needy teams out there that would, if available, would love to trade for him. Um, He went on later to the Pat McAfee show and clarified some of those comments and basically said that, you know, in, in the NFL, there's no one's, there's no certainty as to what people's jobs are in, in the day to day. And he was talking more about some of the guys around. Um, but then some of the, some of the players or some of the people in the organization, uh, notably Mark Murphy saying, we're not idiots. Aaron Rodgers will be back. Matt LaFleur, uh, hell yeah, he better be back. He's our leader. And then of course, Aaron Rodgers saying, I don't think there's any reason I wouldn't be back. So there's, Cause for speculation, obviously, but that speculation looks like it could be just drummed up over emotions, over tensions running high. Aaron Rodgers is coming right off of a crushing loss, off of an amazing season, off of a game that he should have won at home in Lambeau against Tom Brady, a great duel that fell short. Uh, And so obviously emotions are riding high in that meme in that moment and things are said and. You know, he took back to to Pat McAfee's show and clarified it because, you know, we as people who talk about sports, we like to run with any bullshit we can find. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be Deshaun Watson to the Raiders. It could be Khalil Mack back to the Raiders. It could be Derek Carr trades. It could be Matt Stafford going to Europe. It it doesn't matter. I mean, literally, I, I could... I could tweet something crazy and I guarantee you somebody would believe it because unfortunately as sports fans, we're a lot of us are realistic. A lot of us are reasonable, but a lot of us will sometimes buy in to the crap that is out there because it's newsworthy or it's noteworthy or it's, it's, it's it's exciting. It's something different from the norm and people just want something different to cling on to. Now, that being said, I don't see Deshaun Watson coming to the Raiders. It's not going to happen. I don't see the Raiders moving all those picks to bring in a guy like Deshaun Watson because of the fact that, one, it's a ton of picks that we would have to move. It's a huge, huge, huge contract to take on. And quite frankly, we don't have the draft capital to do so. You look around the league at some of these teams that that have some draft capital and that have some pieces and that have new coaches and that have coaches that could support him. And the Jets and the Dolphins make the most sense. The Jets have a ton of picks. The Dolphins have a ton of picks. Now, what would be really interesting would be to see Deshaun Watson go to the Dolphins because all those picks that the Dolphins have were from the Texans. The Texans gave those picks to get Laramie Tunsil. And so it would be really interesting to see the Texans get their picks back for the guy that they should have kept. But if they would have just done the right thing in the first place, they would have been able to keep him. Now, here's the thing. At this time of the podcast, I just got notification that the Texans did hire a head coach. And no, it's not Eric Bieniemy. They hired David Coley, who was the wide receiver coach with Baltimore, for their new head coach down in Houston. So they did hire a minority coach. 
Uh, it wasn't the minority coach that everybody was clamoring for, but they did hire a minority coach. And the Ravens will receive three picks for that in the uh, uh, next two upcoming drafts. Now, David Coley has a distinguished track record. He's been he's a well-regarded coach. He's brings a lot of energy, as what coaches around the league say. Uh, he's somebody who's highly respected. Um, he's never been a head coach. At 65 years old, he's you know on the older side in coaching's terms. Um, but he's never been a head coach. He's been around the league for a very long time, though. Um, so what we've seen is this year there have been a lot of first-year head coaches. Actually, all the coaches hired are first-year head coaches. We're not seeing retreads like we normally do. We're not seeing, you know, the Adam Gases and the Rex Ryans and, you know, the Vic Fangios and the John Foxes and all those guys getting retread and rerun around. And then we're seeing some of the head coaches that were fired get picked up and put onto these new coaching staffs as coordinators. And I'm excited to see what some of these coaches do because some of these coaches are hella coordinators. They're hell of coordinators and they can make some great plans. They can put some things together. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see how some of these players or some of these coaches pan out, but look good on the Texans for finally hiring a coach for hiring a minority. And now I'm hoping that they didn't just do it to do it, to say, Hey, we hired a minority, Deshaun stay. Because I think that the damage is already done with Deshaun. I think that Deshaun is already has two feet out the door and he's ready to go. But we'll see what happens. And we'll see what happens these next couple of months as free agency starts and as the trade periods happen and they start making decisions. And, you know, you start having the unofficial tampering period and the official tampering period and all those fun things that are coming up. Um, you know, so that's that's that. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the Deshaun Watson situation anymore until something happens. Um, but you know, there's, there's something that I need to get into on a serious note. Um, recently Seattle Seahawks lineman, Chad Wheeler was arrested about 24 hours ago for felony domestic violence. He had beaten his girlfriend, um, strangled her and basically was shocked that she was alive. Uh, as she laid there motionless on the bed. He went and said to her, wow, you're still alive and finished a smoothie. And these are words from her own account uh, in the text message that she sent to her friend. Uh, he was released on $400,000 bail. Uh, he was waived by the Seahawks. But this is a an issue that, you know, it's not as prevalent in the NFL uh, as a lot of things. But when it happens, it's highlighted a lot. And one of the things that I noticed is it hasn't been highlighted nearly as much in this situation. And this is a very, very serious situation. You know, we look at the Ray Rice situation where, you know, he knocked out his fiance on, on video in the elevator. We have the Kareem Hunt situation uh, where he kicked the woman when she was down. We have the Tyreek Hill situation where uh, he choked his pregnant girlfriend and he broke his, he allegedly broke his three, three year old son's arm. Um, the Frank Clark you know, the, the list goes on and on. This is a situation in the NFL that that has to be addressed and it has to be taken care of with swift action. You know, especially as a Raider fan, I look at things like this and, you know, Fred Bolitnikoff's daughter was murdered by her significant other in a domestic violence. And the, that's what the Bolitnikoff Foundation was created for. And, you know, watching 
Good Morning Football today. I was watching Nate Burleson, a former Seahawk, and this is what he had to say about the situation. It's been on my heart, and I, I hate to do this at the end of the show, but um, something disturbing happened in Seattle. There was a lineman, Chad Wheeler, that uh, put his hands on his girlfriend. And being a Seattle Seahawk, I just felt like our show never shies away from these tough topics, and I, I don't want to right now. Um, I know it's probably catching you guys off guard, but I, I didn't want to go three hours and not mention it. Uh, domestic violence is a small reflection of the NFL. There's more good guys and bad guys, but it's also a reflection of society. And we oftentimes say there's no room in the game for that. We should just always say there's no room in society for that. I just hope that authorities in Seattle and the NFL handles this properly. I hate to do this at the end of the show, but... What do you mean? I love you for doing this. I just... I, we went three hours and we didn't address it, and I just wanted to make sure that... We talk about domestic violence because it is an issue. It is the story we should be highlighting, and I love you for that work, brother. So huge props to Nate for using his platform to elevate that. And, of course, to Kay Adams for acknowledging that and, and saluting him for that. But Nate's right. It is a society problem. And until society gets better at that, until society learns that you cannot do that, it's not going to get better. I'm going to take a quick break here. When I come back, we'll we'll go come back on a more upbeat tone. But I want you guys just to reflect on that for a second. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so back on a high note, we got the Senior Bowl this week. Now, the Raiders are down there. You got all the coaches down there. You got some top prospects. And remember when John Gruden was coaching the Senior Bowl, how exciting it was. We had Hunter Renfro. We had Foster Moreau. We had Cleveland Farrell out there. We had Alec Ingold. We had those guys out there making plays. And whenever somebody made a play, what happened? Gruden would slap a Raider sticker on their helmet. It was exciting. It was exciting to see. 
it was it got us fired up as fans. It got us fired up as as Raider Nation. It got the team fired up. It got the rookies fired up. We had a solid rookie class that year. There's a solid rookie class coming out of this Senior Bowl, and there's some players out there that I've got my eye on. Now, there's one who I would love for the Raiders to get, but at 17, it doesn't make sense for the Raiders to do because we have already taken a running back in the first round, and that's Najee Harris. Najee's a guy who can do anything. He's the next coming of Marshawn Lynch or Derrick Henry. He's big. He's fast. He's strong. He can run through walls. And like Marshawn said, he can definitely go beast mode on somebody. But at 17, we look at the needs of this Raiders team. Running back isn't a top priority. Do the Raiders need another running back? Yeah, they do, but not in the first round. What the Raiders need to do is they need to build starting on the D-line. That's what I want to get into, the guy that I'm looking at. Actually, there's a couple guys that I'm looking at. There's Christian Barmore. I mean, this guy is the epitome of a Raiders defensive tackle. He's big. He's strong. He's physical. He's nasty. He can get to the quarterback. He can take down running backs. He can create tackles for losses. He is a do-it-all kind of player. And he's a guy that if he's there at 17, the Raiders need to go after him. The Raiders need a solid stud in the middle. I love Mo Hurst. I love Jonathan Hankins. Great players, great dudes. But Christian Barmore is elite. He is somebody who can make plays. He is a dynamic playmaker. And listening to Mike Mayock on Sirius XM today, Mike was saying, the Raiders need dynamic players. They need dynamic playmakers on defense. Max is a guy that can be a dynamic playmaker. Klee is a guy that potentially could be a dynamic playmaker. We need somebody like that in the middle. I'd love to see Mo be that guy. I'd love to see Hankins be that guy. But Barmore is an instant dynamic playmaker. He's a guy that, I'm going to be honest with you, if you put him on a defense, he could be a defensive rookie of the year candidate. He could definitely be a defensive rookie of the year candidate, and he's a guy that I would love to have in silver and black. His technique, the way that he plays the game, the way that he's able to move and shift from a three to a zero. I mean, he can move all over that line, and he's a guy that Rod Marinelli should be foaming at the mouth to get. Gus Bradley should be excited about. He's a guy that I would love to have on that Raiders roster. If the Raiders don't go Barmore, there's another defensive lineman I want you guys to look in. That's Quiddy Pay. Six foot four, 271 pound defensive tackle coming out of Michigan. He's not a big sack guy, but he's a stopper. He's a stuffer. He's a guy that's going to get in the middle. And if he's going to be playing in that middle at 274, we may want him to put on a little more size. Uh, generally, with a zero technique, you want a 300-pounder. Uh, you want a guy who's going to be able to plug up, plug up the hole, who's going to be able to take on a double team, take on a triple team. Uh, there's the the rare uh, the rare occurrence of the Aaron Donald, but I mean Aaron Donald is an anomaly, and he's just out of this world, and there's nobody like him. Uh, but you look at a guy like Quiddy Pay, if he can stay low, then he can create that force. The issue is his height. At 6'4", playing D-tackle, 
it's not ideal. You know, when you look at defensive tackles, you generally want to have a tackle at about six foot, six two. Uh, the reason being is because they're playing on the interior linemen. And the interior, interior offensive linemen are generally smaller. You have a center and you have two guards. Your guards are generally anywhere between 6'2 and 6'4. Your center is anywhere between 6'0 and 6'2. Uh, and then outside on the tackles, that's where you have the bigger guys that are anywhere from 6'4 to 6'8. That's why defensive ends are larger. You generally larger. Defensive tackles are generally a little bit shorter. They're more stout. They're stockier. They get, they get pushed around in the pocket a little bit more. So you get you got to have a pinball guy. That's my only question on Quiddy Pay is, is he a guy that can play interior line against some of these bigger lines, these bigger, stockier lines that could stand you up easily? So those are some of the questions that I have on that. There's some guys that I really I'm, I'm looking at, though. You know, Barmore Pay, uh, Najee is a big guy that I'm looking at. Uh, there's some players out there that as this week progresses, I'm going to have some more to talk about, especially after uh, the senior bowl and after what happens. But the excitement is there. And look, I know the way the season ended for Raider fans. I know the way that everything ended. It, it It's not something to be happy about. Eight and eight is not something to be excited about. Yeah. The Raiders finished with a not winning or not winning, not losing record. They finished 500. Um, but there's something to hang your hat on that Mike Mayock has acknowledged the shortcomings of this team. He's acknowledged what needs to happen, what needs to be changed. And in an interview that he had with Tashawn Reed from The Athletic today, he acknowledged that. He said, I thought it was a disappointing and frustrating end. We were 6-3 and three and playing real good football on offense and getting by on defense. And then we did poorly down the stretch. I think from our perspective, we felt that we were a top 10 offense, which we were in scoring offense. I'm very happy with the way that that went. I thought that we played pretty well. Some guys emerged. Defensively, I think that we had been had we been middle of the pack defense, we would have been a playoff team, and we're not a middle of the pack defense. So we've got some work to do there, and I think that hits a nail on the head. And I think that that's something that me as a Raider fan has been saying for a long time. I know my boy Cody's been saying it for a long time. The offense isn't the issue. Could we score some more touchdowns in the red zone? Of course. But the offense isn't the issue. The, the issue is the defense, and the Raiders have to get the defense in line, and that's why they brought in Gus Bradley. They brought in some coaches that can assist Bradley in getting the output of this defense that we want. Gus Bradley is noted in taking young players and develop them, developing them into somebody who can play. Uh, he did it with Richard Sherman. He did it with Cam Chancellor. He did it with Earl Thomas. And so... Obviously, none of our guys right now are at that level, but there is some talent there. Trayvon Mullen has exceptional talent. Jonathan Abram has talent. Damon Arnett has talent. These are all guys that need to put some work in on the offseason, get together, hit the weight room, get the nutrition right, get some dedication to the game, and this is a defense that could hopefully, with the addition of some free agents and draft picks, could be a middle-of-the-pack defense. And right now, yeah, I mean, look, we want to say just win, baby. Let's just get just middle-of-the-pack defense, baby. But look, hey, as we get into it, as we get down this road, as we talk about what's going on at the Senior Bowl, Super Bowl coming up, a lot to get into. Offseason is going to be a whirlwind. A lot of things going to be happening. All I got to say is just buckle up.